0: This is Earth Riot Radio. I'm Reverend Billy here at the Church of Stop Shopping in New York. Every minute, every hour, getting news from Egypt, from the COP27 climate conference. And the news, I guess it shouldn't be news to us. But now let's not get too dispirited. Let's say that right up front. You all know what the news is. The investor class won't share the profits that they made at the expense of people who are now asking for help with the losses and the damage, with the death and the, and the mayhem that is visited upon their homes, their loved ones. We won't help them out. We might give them some loans through the IMF and so forth that uh, just deepens their climate debt trap we might help in in certain ways that doesn't hurt us too much but we won't trim our trillions will we we're still in a colonial situation well you and i as earth defenders what have we got we have ways that we have been expressing we have ways that we have been creating our activism our direct action sometimes puts us in jail briefly. Not so much the eight years that Jessica Reznicek in Iowa, taking an acetylene torch to, to that pipeline. Not many of us have gone that far. Maybe we all have to now. Whatever we do, it will be different. It will be different. Times are changing now. Let's have a half an hour dedicated to that change. Let's not be afraid. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Will somebody give me an earth (laughs) allure?
1: Since industrialization began, developed countries have been responsible for the vast majority of the world's carbon emissions, and they've got rich in the process. Poorer countries, on the other hand, have contributed little to the climate crisis but are set to feel the worst effects. They want help or, to be blunt, they want money, and they want it now.
2: Pakistan emits under 1% of global emissions, but it's the eighth most vulnerable country.
1: Zain Mulvi is a lawyer in Pakistan for the Alternative Law Collective, a group of lawyers and academics committed to social, economic and environmental justice. Pakistan has actually had uh, climate-related disasters for a lot of years now. There's something to the tune of 22 billion in material damages. Um, I think over 11,000 or 12,000 people killed, roughly 60 million people affected. NASA's Earth Observatory has captured the devastation caused by 2022's extreme monsoon rains — the country's worst flooding in a decade. But if you look at the countries most responsible for climate change, Pakistan isn't one of them. Since 1850, the US has cumulatively emitted more than 500 billion tons of CO2. That's nearly double the next largest emitter, China, and three times that of Russia. And yet the risk of humanitarian crises and disasters stemming from climate change for these countries is relatively low. Joint research from the European Commission and other international agencies found its generally lower-income, lower-emission countries facing the highest risk. A ranking of 191 countries placed China as the 77th most exposed nation. Russia is further down the list at 97, and the US doesn't even make the top 100. In Washington, D.C., international organizations are discussing climate finance for these at-risk nations. Gaia Larsen works on access and deployment of climate finance for the research organization World Resources
3: Institute. The definition of a developing country is that they have less money, essentially and so they have less capacity to, to simply buy things that one might need to deal with a catastrophe, like emergency food or stronger bridges. It really leads these countries to be more at the whim of the weather.
1: How important is the role of those richer countries that you were mentioning in helping those developing nations combat extreme weather?
3: I mean, it's vital, and I'd say for two reasons. One is they have the money, or more of it, right? And just from a justice perspective, they got rich on
4: the problem that we now have. me you. And by 4:15, we were on the roof.
2: So that's happening in in the darkness. Uh, what it starts coming into your house, yeah. does it?
4: Yeah, yeah, it was dark. Um, we just yeah grabbed shoes and whatever flotation devices we could find and popped the kids on the roof and uh, called for help. And we've been sitting waiting ever since. I haven't even. Had it looks either. like you're
2: in. It looks like you're in some kind of tent there on the roof. Um, can you show us around, yeah. if you don't mind, just so sure. we can get a perspective uh, of, of of what we're looking at. Can you talk us through this?
4: Yeah, so um, on top of our bathroom, we have some um, uh, solar panels that we have made a shelter for the kids to try and keep them dry and
2: warm. So you've got your kids then- up there as well. How many kids? We've got three, three little girls. know? Oh, <laughs> I'm are On the roof of your house, how, how are they holding up?
4: Surprisingly, they're doing okay. Yeah. And they're what about doing you? There's some families on their roofs
2: as well, all waiting for help. So what's going to happen with that? Can you can you tell me? Um, what correspondence you've had, what calls you've had. G'day big fella. Uh, what is that your husband?
4: Yeah, we've actually had none. We've had no, no correspondence with anyone. Um, I've just been on social media trying to really like get people to see where we are and what predicament we're in um yeah i have um some neighbors next to us who are actually stuck in their roof cavity and they really need help like desperately but we're still waiting
2: so tell me who else you've spoken to there and and also well first of all tell me about that uh, how many you can see around you that that absolutely uh, will need rescuing because they're talking about another 200 millimeters of rain today
5: It is a hugely young. young and younger population coming. They will usher us into the future. Right. What does it look like today to involve them, to engage them in real and meaningful ways? I think we've done a lot of talking mm. about youth engagement. We even bring them in, and I had an opportunity of meeting the AFR 100 Youth Ambassadors, some of the brightest young people I have ever had the privilege of meeting. They're focused. They're ambitious. They're innovative. They have ideas that we are not even ready for. They are operating at a level of consciousness we haven't seen before. We have got to bring them in and allow for real, meaningful engagement. And that means it will cost us to engage them because it's time. It's their energies. It's their talent. It's their Um, time, Hmm. and they need to get in and bring those energies into the movement. It is exactly what our movement needs. If we don't engage them now, then we cannot possibly meet the 2030 target. So I'm excited about the possibility, which is really beautifully represented by these five youth ambassadors. We need 25 Mm -hmm. and 50 of them, perhaps one or more from each continent so that we can accelerate, we can be challenged by them Mm -hmm. in ways that we hadn't expected. They said to us, which is the first time I've had young people Mm -hmm. say, we have agency. Don't misunderstand youth to mean lack of agency. We have agency. Let us employ our agency. That's the great opportunity. And do you think that there is
3: support behind them? That it's, it's that the our older generation are support. I mean, it's it's good to talk, like you said, but we need to be rally behind them if we're going to make this change and leave them with a sustainable well, I planet. I think we
5: have the capacity. Yeah, we just have to translate that capacity to the will and to real engagement. My personal commitment mm. to them was that I will engage the Global Restoration Council and create a forum that brings them in that allows them to monitor what's going on in their countries. And in that way, also coach and mentor them to learn what it means to engage in the climate change uh, process. At COP, when we go to COP, it is an extremely complex process Mm -hmm. to navigate. But we need to begin getting them into the the rhythm of how to navigate those international conferences, how to navigate national processes, how to really be part of those processes today. Because these processes are theirs to deliver.
3: Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. In Northern California, the Yak Titu Yaktilhini, also known as the Northern Chumash, have requested the return of their coastal homelands, currently occupied by the Diablo nuclear power plant. The tribe sent a letter last month to California Governor Gavin Newsom requesting the return of the Diablo Canyon lands, which are ecologically robust in spite of the highly controversial power plant. In 2016, California energy giant PG&E announced that it planned to decommission the plant by 2025. The decommissioning process has since stalled out. Religious Americans overwhelmingly believe they have a duty to protect the earth according to a new poll from the Pew Research Center, with 80% saying God entrusted them with that responsibility. The survey also found that 42% prayed for the environment in the past year. But that sense of duty doesn't necessarily mean they're clamoring to take on climate change. Less than half of highly religious people considered the overheating planet a very or extremely serious problem though two-thirds said it was at least somewhat serious. In comparison, almost three-quarters of people with low religious commitment said climate change was a very serious problem. In an effort to restore habitat for endangered salmon, the U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, gave final approval this week to decommission four dams straddling the California-Oregon border, the largest dam removal undertaking in U.S. history. Dam removal is expected to improve the health of the Klamath River, the route that Chinook salmon and endangered coho salmon take from the Pacific Ocean to their upstream spawning grounds, from where the young fish return to the sea. Wet pet food is as detrimental to the environment as long-haul airplane flights. Brazilian researchers calculated wet pet meals consumed by a 10-kilogram dog over a year were responsible for 6.5 tons of carbon dioxide. That's the equivalent of flying between Auckland and Reykjavik and back. Switching to dry pet food could slash this so-called paw print. Dog biscuits offering the equivalent amount of energy would produce just 0.8 tons of carbon dioxide over the year. That's one-seventh of the greenhouse pollution of wet food. Researchers noted that pet ownership is increasing across the world and advised owners to consider the environmental impact of their cats and dogs' diet since it is significant. Israel and Jordan signed a declaration of intent this week at the UN Climate Conference COP27 to conserve and protect their shared Jordan River, a sacred waterway nearly running dry because of climate change, pollution, and other threats. Water cooperation was a key element of the 1994 peace treaty between the two countries, but Chile relations over the past decades have complicated efforts to increase water supply to the Jordan River. The plan, announced Thursday, is short on specifics. It says Israel and Jordan have promised to try to reduce river pollution by building up wastewater treatment facilities and upgrading sewer systems. The two countries also aim to promote sustainable agriculture, controlling runoff from farm fields and reducing the use of pesticides. As Europe braces for a winter without Russian gas, France is moving fast to repair a series of problems plaguing its atomic energy supply. A record 26 of its 56 reactors are offline for maintenance or repairs after the worrisome discovery of cracks and corrosion in some pipes used to cool reactor cores. The crisis is upending the role that France has long played as Europe's biggest producer of nuclear energy, raising questions about how much its nuclear power arsenal will be able to help bridge the continent's looming winter energy crunch human sperm counts are declining everywhere, not only in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, which was shown previously, but also in South America, Asia, and Africa. This new analysis found that sperm count globally dropped by more than 50% between 1973 and 2018, and that the decline is accelerating. Since 1972, sperm count has dropped by about 1% each year. Since 2000, the annual decrease has been, on average, more than 2.6%. The findings raise concern that an increasing number of people will need assistance to reproduce, as well as concerns about the overall health of human society, since low sperm count is linked to higher rates of some diseases. And while scientists are still trying to tease out the reasons for the drop, Chemical exposures, especially to pesticides, are a likely factor, and it's thought that climate change may even play a role. A University of Maryland researcher and colleagues found that the fungus Metarhysium robertsi removes mercury from the soil around plant roots and from fresh and salt water. The researchers also genetically engineered the fungus to amplify its mercury detoxifying effects. Mercury pollution of soil and water is a worldwide threat to public health. This new work suggests meteryzium could provide an inexpensive and efficient way to protect crops grown in polluted areas and remediate mercury-laden waterways. A team of researchers has found evidence of a large extragalactic assembly hiding behind one part of the Milky Way galaxy. Space scientists have known for some time there is one part of the night sky that is mostly obscured from view due to a bulge in the galaxy. Known as the Zone of Avoidance, it makes up approximately 10% of the dark sky. The new survey uses infrared emissions rather than visible light. Such emissions are able to pass through the gas, dust, and light from the stars in the bulge and onto instruments set up here on Earth. In studying the infrared imagery, the researchers found that they were able to identify several galaxies that exist far beyond the Milky Way. And because of their numbers, the researchers believe that together, they make up what they describe as a massive extragalactic structure, estimating that there might be as many as 58 galaxies in the structure. In an extensive study along the Pacific coast, scientists have found that the blue whale, the largest animal known to have ever lived on Earth, ingests the most plastic of any other whale and any other animal at an estimated 10 million pieces per day as it feeds almost exclusively on shrimp-like animals called krill. The krill eat the plastic and then the whale eats the krill. The authors found nearly all the microplastics that whales consume come from their prey, not from the enormous volumes of seawater that these whales gulp. This is a troubling discovery because it suggests whales may not be getting the nutrition they need to thrive. And now, the sounds of extinction. New research on the electrical fields of honeybees demonstrates that living things can have an impact on atmospheric electricity. By measuring the electrical field near swarming honeybees, researchers have discovered that honeybees and some other insect swarms can produce as much atmospheric electric charge as a thunderstorm cloud. This type of electricity helps shape weather events, aids insects in finding food, and lifts spiders up in the air to migrate over large distances. And here, the electricity of swarming honeybees.
0: The end of birth. I'd like to start out with a quotation from Michael Soulet and Bruce Wilcox Death is one thing, an end to birth is something else. Tropical forests, wetlands, estuaries, and the coral reefs beneath the oceans surface are home ecosystems for most of the life on Earth. Tropical forests are the home of half of all species and they are one-third gone. Caught in the slash and burn lumbering, fast food grazing and accelerating birth rates, the planet will be deforested for our children. We are turning out the lights on the creation of life. Life needs enough life, forests and oceans of it, to keep making life. life a Put it this way, evolution to work needs its genetic pool, its laboratory, its wildness. Human beings are making this declaration. With our creation, evolution is complete. Nature got us going, but now it's final destination time. Push that throttle on to greatness. Well, that greatness could be over in a few days. In the early 90s, Mr. Ed Bass, from a Texas oil family, financed an experiment in which miniatures of some of Earth's ecosystems were sequestered with a group of scientists inside a glass bubble called Biosphere 2. It's near Tucson, Arizona. They housed a coral reef in one wing with pumps cycling salt water, and then there was a rainforest in another wing and so on. They introduced a few lizards and insects but no mammals, no birds. Membership in this club anticipated a mostly human Earth. Space colonization was mentioned in early press conferences. As a motive for this hermetically sealed experiment, a comedy of bad science loomed over the project, (laughs) even before scientists started sneaking out for chocolate bars. Inside the bubble, they couldn't get the trees to stand up straight. They caressed the bark. The trees drooped sadly. They discovered the trees need wind. They get their strength from swaying in the breeze. So they tried fanning the trees inside their expensive terrarium, but the trees just leaned and leaned. Trees need wind. It was recently discovered that 45% of all the CO2 stored on land is inside trees. So, the wind makes a tree into a tree, and the tree also makes the wind into wind by cleaning it, scrubbing the carbon, and returning the oxygen over and over. Wind needs wind. Wind needs trees. Trees need trees. Trees need trees need wind. Humans need both. We're witnessing the extinction of hundreds of thousands of species of life. Birds, mammals, frogs, lizards, bees, butterflies, woody plants, flowers, even bacteria. We select some to save, conserve, preserve. We make them into media stars and treasure them. But this planet is our greenhouse now and we don't plan on sharing it much. The ongoing and upcoming extinction wave seems to leave us officially unimpressed. This is an apocalypse of accumulating silence. The idea that we would remain the only living thing with Earth repurposed to include only pets, little microclimate sample pocket parks, a rainforest the size of a par three golf hole, and museums full of extinct in the wilds animals staring back at us in wonder. That's hell! But at least it's a temporary one since we would not survive long. Who would say that human beings are the only life worth saving? It seems so absurd, and yet that seems to be the plan. The most basic far-reaching policy of the United States leadership at this time is to do nothing, say nothing, change nothing. In this slow motion orgy of death, we go about our day with the understanding that life as we know it is ending. We go to work if we can find it, raise our kids if we can find them, have sex if we can get it, sleep and wake up. We know it won't be long. And back again for some goodbyes and thank yous. We want to thank Sam Meredith, CNBC, interviewing Yeb the executive director of the Southeast Asia Greenpeace. Thank you so much. Wanjiri Mathai, thank you for talking about the young people at COP27. The television show from South Lismore didn't get the names, but what an extraordinary situation. That mother with her three daughters and husband up on the roof of a house surrounded by water as far as the eye can see. The fiery eagles of justice and the stop shopping choir lent us their music for this Earth Riot show. We want to thank you and Savitri D, the reporter and the voice of the news from the natural
6: world. This is Reverend Billy for Earth Riot Radio. earth